You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. And welcome, ladies and gents, to the show with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. I'm very excited about this Friday. We've got Dr. Cameron Murray, author of Game of Mates here in Melbourne. We've got a big meeting at Victorian Treasury. We're discussing uh, the problems associated with rezoning, and we heard the uh, uh, Andrews opposition party strongly critical of uh, Matthew Guy and the Liberals regarding Fisherman's Bend and all of the rezoning windfalls that have gone on there. Well, what has happened since they've been in government? The same rezoning windfalls surrounding our metro loop and not in one location but uh, throughout the city through uh, Parkville you've heard me talk about the rezonings uh, around Melbourne University over in Arden and then down on St Kilda Road at the Domain Tunnel around there there no doubt are some lavish parties going on as landlords uh, enjoy making money in their sleep hand over fist we're not just talking about a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars here we are talking multi-million dollars so uh camera murray's down to present at rmit at 4 30 this friday and uh, tickets are 15 dollars. i really hope you can come along uh 30 with a signed copy of uh, this real page turner of a book you heard him on the show a number of times uh, imagine analyzing 260,000 relationships and uh, tying together the the networks that lead to incredible windfalls uh, through rezoning. Uh, this game of mates is capturing 70% of the rezoning windfalls. We need to stop that. We need to cut off uh, this honeypot and uh, ensure that uh, everyone gets a share of that money, not just the insiders, uh, because the way it's going at the moment is just making housing more and more unaffordable. All right, there's the spiel. Uh, today's interview is uh, with Alana Hartsock from uh, the Earth Rights uh, Organization in America. Uh, she is uh, an incredible woman. We brought her to Australia way back in 2006. Uh, people like Robert Swan, the founder of the Community Land Trust Movement, uh, big fans of hers. Uh, Susan Witt at the Schumacher Center for New Economics uh, uh, had her speak a number of years ago uh, regarding democracy, earth rights and the next economy. Please make sure you uh, read that document. I'm going to put it in this week's show notes. All right, uh, let's move on over to the interview. Listeners, we're joined today by uh, one of my dear friends, Miss Alana Hartsock, who is our UN representative for the International Union of Land Value Tax and uh, an absolute stalwart when it comes to land reform, particularly at a global level. And uh, with the increasing commodification of real estate, Alana, uh, the role of land value tax is uh, accelerating in importance as more and more people, more and more big companies are buying and selling real estate. And to think that last year was a record for foreign investment in U.S. commercial properties with uh, what they euphemize now as cross-border spending nearing $100 billion. That's the code word for foreign investment. Uh, it, it must be uh, quite something that these 
uh, all this money is piling into real estate and, and politicians uh, alongside the public are struggling to grasp with the changes they're seeing in their own communities. You know something, this is an ancient problem and issue. What come to me as you spoke was, I think the quotes from Leviticus, it's God speaking, God saying, uh, thou shalt not buy and sell the land forever, for the land is mine. Ye are but strangers and sojourners. And from my look back and studies of the whole land question through thousands of years, societies have a balanced harmony and high point of culture when it's recognized that the land is a gift of some creator, it's not made by humans, and it must be fairly shared. <clears throat> when there's ways to do that, society thrives. When that golden perennial wisdom teaching is lost, and a few start asserting power over others by grabbing more than their fair share of land, then you see a cultural deterioration, you see conflict, uh, prisons, debtor prisons, wars, wealth inequality, and so on. It's a really big, bold template to look at the land problem. And from this view, it's all rather simple, Carl. We have to fairly share the earth to have a fair society, to have a world where everyone thrives and survives, certainly. And if we don't, we have growth, wealth, inequality, war, conflict, and suffering. The problem we've got is that so many media pundits and politicians just can't grasp these changes and the far right are growing in stature as concerns rise about the pressures of immigration. It, it seems like the radical future we've been predicting is is virtually upon us now, and it, it's a uh, an assault, if you like, on our uh, radar for common sense whether we can withstand these pressures of uh, escalating uh, property prices, uh, gentrification, and uh, the resultant inequality that flows from it. Alana, how do you? Uh, digest the media cycle these days? You know, you put a lot together right then. You talked about immigration, wealth inequality, housing and land prices, <laughs> the far right. Um, I'm not demonizing the far right, and it should not be demonized any more than should the far left in my book anymore. I mean, if you just look at the world and you stand outside the world, if you go to your right, you're going to end up on your left. If you go far enough, either direction. So ideologically, we're being divided between this false construct of right and left. Our economics approach transcends the, that dynamic because we have clarity about what's yours, what's mine, what's ours. And we would say what's ours is the gifts of nature, land and resources, um, the value that society creates when it uses land and resources, what we call the rent. What's mine is what I work for. What's yours is what you work and labor for. So uh, if I grow peas and you grow carrots, 
we shouldn't tax peas or carrots. And if we decide to exchange them, we shouldn't tax that exchange. But if, if I have a thousand acres of land and you have a half an acre, there's no way our trade is going to be fair. It's going to be unfair because I'm going to have an unfair advantage in terms of my disproportionate claim or ownership of the earth. So the pressures that people are feeling around the immigration topic, let's look at that for just a minute. Um, the, far, the right is concerned that the open borders uh, is destructing the integrity of the nation states and further that that is um, an intentional thing by the powers that would like to have a type of global governance that they can control. And there's quite a bit of information about that mindset that has the world divided into regions and would in fact break down the nation state and come under global governance of their ruling. So the boundaries issue is an important one. Boundaries are always important to decide what is a fair boundary and what is a fair rule of access from one place to another. Um, it's a big topic, Carl, the whole immigration issue, but I'm, I'm afraid it's another one that's being used to divide the people and keep us in an uproar on two sides of the fence, literally. Mm, that uh, online rage uh, it, it just festers r surrounding uh, that topic and uh, with your work at the UN uh, level uh, in the past you've been involved with the Global Land Tools uh, Network trying to assist this growing need for literacy when, it's, when it comes to uh, a fair and just access to uh, land uh, it almost feels like uh, with the failure of foreign aid the uh, uh, sustainable development goals, I think they're called now, floundering in the face of uh, this international real estate speculation. Uh, the, the institutional governance is struggling and this is what uh, your president, Donald Trump, is, uh, is toying with and uh, doing his best to remove the influence of uh, the United Nations and, and other global bodies uh, so that there are even less checks and balances on uh, uh, the 0.01%ers. The best perspective on what Trump's trying to do there, again, it comes from a fear that the far right has about centralizing power in global governance. And his emphasis on making United States work is, is not bad. It gathers a lot of support when he talks about make America great again, because we're falling apart in a lot of ways. So people like that rhetoric. Does he have, have a handle on how to really fix it? I, I, I don't think so. So, uh Let's get back to the Global Land Tool Network because, as Vladimir Putin says, United States presidents come and go, but the system stays the same. So we got to look at some of the positives here in terms of the direction we'd like to see the world go. The Land Tool Network is uh, part of the United Nations Habitat, which is the UN Center for Human Settlements. 
And it's just had its third uh, major global conference since its founding in 1976. So the 76th conference in Vancouver, the 96th one in Istanbul, and this past 2016 one in Quito, Ecuador. I attended the Istanbul one. Uh, colleagues attended the Quito one in Ecuador this past year. Now, they've crafted the new urban agenda. Uh, and when I say they, I mean all the delegates to the UN, all the member state representatives and, and stakeholders. These are documents are crafted meticulously. There were many preparatory conferences in several countries. Each word and phrase is agreed upon by consensus of all UN member states. I think there's too little appreciation of what goes into creating a United Nations official document. So this one is excellent. It has many very fine points, and it solidly includes the land value-based taxes and the land value capture. They're not using the phrase land value tax, but certainly it's just a different form of refer reference to it in saying land value-based taxes to curb speculation, to curb land hoarding, to finance infrastructure, all the many good things that our movement works for is well embedded in the new urban agenda. So we can play in this field now, not as outsiders, but very much as the people holding the expertise and the knowledge base to go into the implementation phase. And it's a really big deal because the UN Habitat is the major UN body that has the local authorities, the cities, councillors, the mayors coming together to discuss their city issues, okay? So even though it's a world body, you've got to see the emphasis on the city means there's a, an inherent decentralist thrust, a decentralism when you seek to empower the the cities and towns of the planet. And when you have the proper form of public finance base well embedded in your document, I think that's a golden opportunity for our movement for land rights through land value tax and removing taxes on labor and production to really take off. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, this week in discussion with Alana Hartsock from earthrights.net. That's earthrights.net. She is the UN representative for the International Union of Land Value Tax. As we forge ahead this centuries-old battle to ensure that we all get a share of the rising value of location, location. And from that, we can switch the tax base away from penalising workers towards deterring speculation where these incredible windfall profits are occurring through rezonings, uh, through uh, some population growth. Uh, it's a natural phenomena that those who own land in the centre of towns uh, have a huge advantage over anyone trying to run a business or earn a wage. And so, uh, Alana, the... Um, 
the other one of the other big topics you've been involved in recently is uh, water and what's happening to uh, the privatization of our waters and and what we need to do to ensure that future generations have access to clean drinking water. Uh, there was a big forum uh, you were involved in in New, in New York recently. The title of this conference was was Sacred Water, Profane Markets. And we highlighted the work of one of our global authorities on this topic, which is uh, Dr. Mason Gaffney and the uh, American Journal of Economics and Sociology November issue, which was completely devoted to his work and thoughts on water ethics and water policy. Uh, So the essence of it is that we need to recognize water as a commons Uh, We need to uh, fairly share the water commons. Uh, It needs to be uh, accessed on a uh, no profit, no loss basis. There should not be private profiteering in water. Um, So we looked at some specific uh, policies that would give everybody their basic needs for free uh, of a basic amount of water. And then those utilizing more than the basic needs share would then there would be a pricing structure, whereas then the the more intense users would be paying a higher fee for water access. And of course, you need to charge some fee in order to finance the water delivery systems, meaning the water infrastructure. And that's going to cost more or less depending on how easy it is to access water. But I think the theme of sacred water, profane markets, is that the market as it's now set up is profane because it's not fair, because it does in fact commodify uh, the natural resource base. Uh, Water is maybe more easily understood as a commons than surface land. And so the thrust is to keep land as a commons rather than to have to have the privatization, and there are really big battles happening around it. Uh, There's uh, instances in my state of Pennsylvania in the United States of disregard for the fact that water can be polluted by companies that are involved in fracking or large animal agriculture operations. All of these threaten the water supplies of rural people, and just as we the West has been exploiting uh, developing countries' natural resources. We find that corporations are now moving into rural areas of the United States with disregard for the water, the, the property rights, the well-being, the survivability of the people in the rural area. So uh, emerging big political fights are happening around Uh, towns and municipalities uh, having their home rule ordinances. There was an article in a Rolling Stone about a township in my congressional district that I've been aware of for a few years. They have a home rule charter that passed the rights of Mother Mother Earth, rights of nature ordinance in that. And in the charter, they've also passed that they will not arrest or fine people for nonviolent civil disobedience. Uh, there's enough environmental law to realize that there's too few environmental law cases that are being won because the courts are rigged by corporations that wield the money and the power. 
So environmental lawyers are starting to see but the only thing we have now is revolt, is nonviolent civil disobedience against uh, the powers that would just come in and take. One of the dangers we have here in Australia is the separation of the land title from the water title in rural communities. So many poor farmers are uh, selling off their water rights and uh, in times to come, uh, purchases of those properties are not going to have any access to, to uh, water. So uh, I wonder if, the, if that's one of the trends that's emanating. I mean, there's a lot of conjecture over the role of fracking and uh, how uh, w one farm's property rights and their, their ability to access water can then pollute the rest of the community's water. And uh, there's a little uh, recourse for that community when the uh, US EPA has been so severely gutted of recent. Now, you just mentioned Australia, and now you mentioned the U.S. EPA? That's right. So what does our EPA have to do with Australia? I'm just wondering whether um, the similar sort of um, separation of land and water titles is occurring in America as uh, they continue to develop new ways to carve up the the rights of the earth and uh, and sell them off to the highest bidder. You know, it varies quite a bit from place to place. Uh, I, I mean, whether or not the the water is owned by a private company or owned by a a governing municipality or some for, for form of government. Landowners selling off water rights is not something I hear of over here. And what would they be the incentive in Australia for a farmer to sell their water rights? They've got to be pretty desperate because you can't have a viable farm if you don't have water. So what's their motivation for selling their water rights? Yes, a lot of retiring farmers have been doing it and uh, the market dictate is that those who um, have higher value-added products will be able to use uh, that, those water rights in terms of uh, some of our major rivers to uh, develop and grow uh, more productive crops and from that it's uh, meant to be better for the overall economy. Um, surely in the short term, but who knows how it's going to affect things in the long run. Okay, so if your farmer's not really using the water, then selling it off makes sense, doesn't it? Because you want to be able to utilize the water and be able to grow, grow crops. But the struggle is still going to be what's fair. It's always going to be what's fair. I mean, we looked at our forum a lot at California's craziness around how they have the irrigation system set up and how they've put in so much irrigation infrastructure but it's been put in very inefficiently because of a variety of land and water rights so there needs to be just some harmonization uh rationality uh based on fair water pricing and it's not a question of ownership it's a question of fair use rights and fair pricing so, as you said, it might have to be looked at down the future, but it will become an issue if it's not there now an issue. But we would say the irrigation and the water access 
increases what you would pay in terms of a property tax. And so those who have more pay more. It's not that different than how we would hold the surface land. And those who have better or more surface land would pay a higher uh, land value tax or, or land value rental fee to society to make it fair. And uh, that goes back again in societies to the Indus River Valley thousands of years ago had this form of public finance. China had a form of uh, land rights that made sure there was a commons uh, and that no one had more than their fair share during certain periods. So my concern is when, when there is so much focus on wealth inequality that there's not enough going deep down into the source and the root of the wealth inequality till you can really see the land problem. And I think that's our role to see that the land problem takes various forms. One is the issue of affordable housing and this abundant productive economies, why both man and woman working family members have to work so hard to pay their rents and mortgages and labor just doesn't seem to get ahead the way the market's structured right now. So that, that is a core land problem issue that relates to wealth inequality, that relates to housing affordability and basic needs. So we just need to have people connect the dots. And back again to this UN Habitat and the Land Tool Network and the New Urban Agenda, uh, we have put together a document for mayors and uh, city council people where we describe the policy and we uh, describe what we can do as a team of pro bono consultants, which we have lined up. And so we offer our services and guiding them to a best practices model for how they can implement a land value tax after they have answered a uh, 26 question questionnaire. Then we get that back to our consultants, and then we give them suggestions as to how to proceed in implementation. Um, I think it's real important that we go a couple of steps beyond advocacy and education to positioning ourselves as having the expertise to give to uh, cities and public officials to implement the policy. Well, Alana Hartsock, that's a fantastic way to finish today's interview. Uh, well done for being at the coalface of uh, many of these global governance type uh, machinations. Thanks so much for joining us here again on The Renegade Economist. Oh, thanks for having me, Carl. Best to you. And there we have Alana Hartsock from earthrights.net. That's earthrights.net. Great to hear that at the UN levels there uh, is movement to stop the spread of global property speculation to recognize the importance of capturing the rising value of location, location, and from that, uh, the improvement it leads to our communities because you just think about all these vacant properties we talk about, that forces people to live further and further out and uh, when it comes to farming, that example uh, is very pertinent. Uh, people have to go and farm on the less uh, fertile lands and that means that uh, their returns are lower and the, the way the law of rent works is that uh, uh, that then means that uh, landowners who own property in more fertile land can 
pay their workers uh, the same rate as those who are working for themselves on the less fertile land because uh, there's uh, no real other option for them because the land has all been locked up. And that's one of the important things that we all know land uh, gives us our sovereignty, but it's this law of rent uh, component that unless we grasp that uh, when land is wasted, it forces down our wages, it forces up the land prices and uh, it increases the reliance of government on taxing workers. So let's cut to the source and capture the rising value of location, location, so that uh, we can placate the right wing with uh, lower taxes and uh, and speak to the left as well in terms of affordable housing and uh, self-funding public transport. And of course, just after we finished uh, the recording, Alana talked about how she was uh, uh, helping with a uh, big community land trust happening in the Appalachian uh, Mountains in West Virginia and uh, visited these Cherokee lands, uh, traditional uh, uh, ritual-based uh, uh, property that has been handed over to the community to develop one of these community land trusts. And there she was uh, sitting in a circle in sunset uh, with uh, uh, some uh, incredible elders, including the granddaughter of Frederick Douglass, who was the Martin Luther King of the civil rights type era. So uh, uh, there are people working on these diversity of tactics from uh, the big picture UN right down to in our community with community land trusts. All right, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Don't forget Friday, Dr. Cameron Murray, 4.30pm, RMIT. Check prosper.org.au for more details or the show notes on earthsharing.org.au. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Uh, I hope uh, it's a happy week for you and your wallet. Thanks so much for all those who supported uh, the Radiothon. Great to see the Renegade Economists. Uh, We basically made our, uh, our requirements, so thank you once again. Till next week. 3CR proudly presents Beyond the Bar.